Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome, welcome, get out your Aquanet and get those bangs a-going. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Shauna. That's right. If you are watching this video, then uh, watching this on video, then you know that we are joined by our um, our, our dear friend back once again, Shauna Hayjack. Yay! Yeah. Third time's uh, a charm, right? Right. We'll see. And uh, <laughs> we are, yeah. So going off of what we uh, what we did for the holidays, where we um, sort of had our our little movie club, where we each uh, are assigned um, a movie, where we uh, we are not going to talk about um, about Blitzen uh, or Dancer Prancer Prancer. I don't what what reindeer. I don't even know. See, I blocked it, it, it already. Was, yeah, I it just Prancer. did not like that fit. Prancer. Prancer um no today we are going to we be sort of stole talk- your thunder a little bit i felt like there I, I looked back on that part of the show and i feel like there was a great prancer rant about to come out of you <laughs> and we were both like we were both like no prancer's good like we kind of yeah. got in the way of that you and it's too bad we, we should have let you have yeah, your rant in prancer, full. It, it was yeah. you could tell it was revving up yeah, Prancer, Prancer uh, brought out many different uh, feelings in me. Um, very, very, it, it pretty much captured all, any cynical feeling I have towards the holiday. Uh, Prancer <laughs> triggered it. It just triggered it. That's interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know that was not the movie's intention, obviously. It was quite the um, opposite. So, yeah, very much so. But uh, for me, it was, it was. Still the best line in that whole thing is, it's Ariana Richards, right? She says, I don't, I don't think I believe in Santa Claus, and yeah, and the, our hero is like, yep. what? Yep. <laughs> she has a wordless reaction mm-hmm. to it, and and Ariana's the be- I think really do think it's the best line in the movie. She goes, "Well, think about it, because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really hold up if yep. you think about it." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um i don't know i, I no thought that, prancer, that tickled me yeah, i thought it was funny that, that's good no i i remember that uh <laughs> the, that no prancer today today we are gonna go um w- w- way more into the dark cynical world of money yeah and talk about uh talking about three movies uh surrounding the uh the lower end of manhattan the uh, <laughs> uh the um, financial sector on Wall Street. So we're yeah, going to be Wall, talking about three Wall Street movies. This was, I'm not sure it was these three movies, Shauna, but this was your idea, wasn't it? Wall Street movies. Where'd that come it, from? Uh, well, I have a background in finance. So I was just thinking, you know what? I don't know. This is a theme. Let's take a look at it. And I do have to say, though, 
um, having a background in finance, I, I just thought of this. I have to point out that these aren't three Wall Street movies. <laughs> no. Wall Street is, and then the other the two others are business kind of movies. They're but, business movies, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so, but I'm still going with Wall Street theme yeah. because yeah. they're all related, kind of. And, yeah. And once we're they through this, some... you know, it's a subject that's rife for different eras of movies. And we thought these three would be fun. They really, they do structurally, they're the same movie. To, just told in rather different ways with different uh, given circumstances, but the the plots are essentially the same for all three, which is kind of amazing to me. And they all yeah. came out around the same time. They were all great big hits yeah. at the time. So, so that's neat. We could branch out though. There are other movies kind of about the subject that are, you know, mm -hmm. more modern or more, you know, to take right. on different aspects of that. So, but. I would also like to point out really quick, Joel, yeah. um, that Wall Street and Working Girl were both up for Academy Awards, but I didn't see anything about Secret of My Success. Yeah, and we're <laughs> gonna talk. We're gonna talk about <laughs> that brutal oversight. <laughs> that uh, yeah, that that's yeah, boy, you want to rant? Here we go. Buckle it's coming. Up. No. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, as I believe I wrote to Ryan, I hate how much I love this film. Well, let's start so, with um, that one. That's number well, one on the list. Yeah, that's number one. But first, we have a, a much more important thing that we have to discuss. Okay. Because uh, lest our uh, viewing audience um, be confused, I want to briefly uh, discuss what is going on behind you, Shauna. Oh, yes. Yeah. There is a modern art piece going on back there. <laughs> Am I allowed to stand up? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Okay. So we're doing a renovation in our house. And so our upstairs had three bedrooms, my son's, an extra bedroom, and my husband's in my bedroom. And we live in a house that was built in 1968. And it just, it had not been renovated in a long time. We had carpeting in our bathroom, just bad. So now we're renovating. And what you see here is my sleep number bed with no air in it and stuffed <laughs> into seven black garbage bags. Noise. So, That's what that is. Yeah, it was. I'm like, th that is a, a very unique structure going on behind you. I didn't know if that was like a steel girder that was all mangled and met. Like, did you have some sort of uh, structural accident is what I was concerned. It kind of looks like I might be getting ready for an alien movie. There is house. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. There's lots of things. I'm sure. Yeah. You, lots of little home movie things that you could probably yeah. create just, just from those foam pieces. Don't turn alien I, into a stage play. Joel won't like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. This is my house right now. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. So let's. Um, that showed great discipline, Joel, that you resisted there. I'm impressed, by the way. Um, so let's get into <laughs> our uh, our little movie club, and we are gonna. So we're gonna take. Uh, we're gonna take a trip back to the late '80s when shoulder pads. When when the the big question is, what's going to be higher? your bangs or your shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, and the first movie we're gonna talk about is 1987's The Secret of My Success. Yes. 
Yes. Um, Hot I, off I, of uh, Top Gun, actually. Secret of My Success was written by the same guys who wrote Top Gun, Jim Cash and Jack Epps mm-hmm. Jr. And, you wouldn't um, know it really from anything that's in it, but it was written by them. And it's directed by Herbert Ross, who's this the warmest, fuzziest director really in all of Hollywood history. He's most famous for... Um, his uh, Neil Simon adaptations. He and Neil Simon are yeah, friends, yeah. and um, the vast majority of Neil Simon plays that have been adapted into movies have been directed by Herbert. But we've talked about his films before. We talked about The 7% Solution in our Sherlock Holmes episode, which is a fantastic movie. We've talked about uh, Max Dugan Returns, one of Joel's favorite childhood films from 1983, mm-hmm. um, which is... Also, Neil Simon, written direct for the screen. That's a lovely film. And this movie's a little edgier because I think the writers bring a little edginess to them. But it Secret of My Success is delightful because it's this... I mean, I really think it's worthy of some praise. We sort of want to praise it ironically, but mm-hmm. it's it's completely old-school farcical. There's yeah, literally it, a scene in it later in the film where these people are in this <laughs> this mansion and they're they're all sneaking around at night in the hall, same hallways looking for their lovers and you know that's the, it doesn't get more french farce than that that's yeah it it's i mean it goes the, the movie classic has, and it's funny every has, time you know michael j fox is doing slapstick comedy there's sex farce stuff going on there's uh 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 like regular just like sitcom moments and there's like the board you know the big boardroom you know the boardroom brawling Mm. sort of things um yeah there's all all, you know the movie is just kind of it 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 tries to uh to have all of that stuff um yeah i mean is it kind of uh, this is kind of a take on his um you know he still was still doing family ties at the time he obviously Two summers previous, he had that huge Back to the Future, which made him a movie star. And this was the first, not the first movie he did after that, but it's sort of the big continuation of him as a movie star. He asked to carry the whole movie. Yep. He plays and this so- kid from, where is he from? Kansas? Kansas. Yeah, Kansas, Kansas, of course. Just like Dorothy. Yep. Kid he from Kansas says- with all these great ideas for... Uh, it's more about investment banking than, as as uh, Shauna was pointing out, than than stock market trading. But it it he's got all these ideas for how to make businesses awesome, <laughs> and he's just a little guy with a big dream. Comes from the small place to the big town, and it's really about him making good on the promise of all of that in a very light and comedic way. Ah, Ryan, it's kind of like Alex P. Keaton from Hicksville, all grown up. Yeah, right. it's um. Well, the, I mean, it's so clear. I mean, they said, okay, you. It's so clear where they went. Well, we. How do we differentiate, um, um, this character from uh, Alex P. Keaton? Um, well, let's just let's put a, a reddish wash in his hair. <laughs> And that's literally as far as they went. And the reddish wash even sort of goes away by halfway through. It's um, a movie star performance. You know, Fox wasn't, it's not like he was ever a huge movie star. He was in a couple Mm -hmm. of huge movies, but he gives this, 
he gives this, it's him, you know, it's all his charm and all his wit and everything he brings to the table is all on the surface. There's not some effort of, on his behalf to play some sort of character yeah. that's, out, that's anywhere outside of his wheelhouse. But that's, he was delightful at the time and it's very fun to watch and he kind of drags you along through the thing, no matter how stupid it gets at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. Uh, so yeah, he plays the dual role. I mean, it, that's, I mean, again, if we're going to talk about Oscar snubs, yeah, <laughs> Michael J. Fox plays both Brantley Foster and Carlton Whitfield. That's right. <sighs> Whitfield um, is Brantley. Brantley is, uh, Whitfield. is Whitfield. And Christie is, is the bimbo. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, so we have, uh, yeah, we have it, it. I mean, it's, I, I, boy, I mean, I love this. I love this film unabashedly. Richard Jordan is just such a wonderful, He's fantastic, uh, 80s, you know, businessman sleaze. And before you move on from him, his, uh, his managing partner played by Jerry Bannon. Jerry Bannon is an actor that I love that I, have worked with. So I want to give a shout out oh. to him because I, I, I wouldn't say I'm pals with him. He's not likely to come on the show. Yeah. He's a bit of a prickly pear in real life, but, uh, but he's so funny in this movie. His, yep. his, all right. As long as I get the memo. Um, yeah. He's he, just this wonderful Tony. bureaucrat from in and out. And he's obviously the characters there to show how broken everything is and how impenetrable, mm-hmm a world it is for somebody for an idealist to come into it's a it's a metaphorical silly way to show that but it still shows that which is fun and richard jordan as his uncle-in-law step uncle i'm not sure what you would call him yeah uncle and no i mean he's you know he well richard i mean in terms of his aunt vera really his aunt yes yes i mean he is he's an uncle he is an uncle yeah that's important right because jesus no right. blood, yeah, no blood. Because if right not, we'd be taking this movie to a whole new level. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'd be um, in Game of Thrones territory already. Right. Um, um, yeah, he is. He is. You know. Uh, yes, he even says. Uh, you know. Oh, you're one of the Kansas Fosters. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, there's definitely a branch of the family that must be like uncle once removed. Or but something. it's a mistaken identity for us. He, as himself, he gets mm-hmm. a mailroom job and little more, and so he. He. This is based on a true story. This is what Steven Spielberg did when he was a kid. He came in. Oh, I didn't know that. He came into Universal Pictures and had a meeting there for some little thing because he'd been directing a couple of TV things. And there was an unoccupied office that he just took. He just moved in. <laughs> and he That's wasn't awesome. getting paid, but he was now, now suddenly he had an office. He had his little card that they never checked the date on. And he could come in and out of the Universal Studio lot freely and just bump into people and meet with people and network with people and get all his sort of projects off the board. And this, this trick. He was, yeah. He was it, building his reputation. Yes. And that's the thing. You don't need to get paid for that. He want, fact, that'll come later. Right. You're he just was a young guy. He wanted to make movies. He didn't care if he was starving and he just, mm-hmm. but he was bold enough to, and he still, those offices are still his. He just took over this office. That's what, I, uh, that's what Bradley does in the movie. He, he takes over an empty office. He has, changes his name and he assumes the identity of a of a um, junior executive at this company. And people just 
even the even the guy who insists on the clericalness all being left up is like, well, okay, I didn't get the memo, which he's pissed about, but as long as I get one that says he's here, then that's fine. You know, as long as all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Problem for him is that there's several people in the story who know him already as his other identity. So the amount of running around and hiding behind file cabinets and all this crazy, wacky, physical humor, like Joel said, is it that it's an identity for us. It's a uh, yeah, you know, very, very, you know, fu fairly funny one for the era, I would say. What's funny to me is that I did not realize that it was actually based on Steven Spielberg. It's inspired by it. It's not really inspired. his story, but well, yeah. loosely inspired. Same but that idea of him just saying, area. "Hey, I belong here," you know, and everybody actually, in Hollywood at that time would have known that story. I actually appreciate the movie better knowing that now, because <laughs> that's an awesome story. My it problem is. with this was, you know. Michael J. Fox comes in and he's never worked a job in his life. He is straight out of college and he moves into an office and he learns everything in the matter of like a month and knows this business top, bottom, sideways, every yeah. which way. I'm like, he's a super genius for the for just for plot related reasons. It's not right. really earned. And that, that's just so not realistic. So it was hard for me, and I know it's suspended reality mm -hmm. because it's it's a it's a funny show, but but it has a bunch of dumb, unrealistic. Th there's love at first sight in it, which isn't something that typically happens. There's it's a kind of neat sequence, but it's you know, it's, it's not a. Oh, that bugged me too. So yeah, because okay. it's just it's BS. It's silly Hollywood BS. This movie's full of that. There's a few things about this. Hold on, Joel. I know you. No, you're good. No, you're good. I can see your face. <laughs> And I'll give you your time and you can prop up this movie, but <laughs> this, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. This but, movie was so sexist that yeah, yeah. you either oh, yeah. had women as secretaries or you had the Harvard educated businesswoman that just was like, Oh, well, yeah. I don't know. I think his idea is good. An utter, an utter damsel in distress. It just didn't sort of well, business it's not disguise. Even that. It's not even that. She has the personality of a potato. Yeah, and we're talking about you it's know so Supergirl I mean, and Legend of Billie Jean, Helen mm -hmm. Slater. You know, she's not she's not a wilting violet in terms of her roles, uh, her on screen roles, any kind. And this character is just she's horrible. Just, yeah, it's, she's pretty oh, lame. Horrible. I think I don't blame the actor. I think she does with what she can with what's there, but it it is written from these two Top Gun guys' point of view, and they only know kind of how to write one thing. They write a a perfect fantasy of a woman, which is what right. which is what Kelly McGillis's character in Top Gun is, or they right. just write this person that even though she's you know she's put in there as being capable and stuff, she's not overtly sexist, but she's just helpless and worthless in terms of agency in the story. And that, well, and the thing is really quick. Makes time, it tough. It's, uh, she's having it's, an affair so, with her boss, which you feel right. like she's not she into has an affair at with all. Her boss. She's, you know, yeah. and, and it's not even her either. It's also Michael J. Fox. You know, it's like he, every time he stopped by any woman's desk that he thought was pretty, Ooh, right. that was it. I mean, it, yeah. it, this is the epitome of sexist. Right. sexism especially in the 80s right right, right. Uh, and and you know I, I i would have been able to enjoy it except for you know uh, what is the character that's the 
uh, executive Harvard grad. What's her name? Christy. 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 Yes, thank you. But she has so no personality. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm like, she's so annoying to watch for me. I'm like, at least give her a personality. She's cute when she's drinking water out of the water fountain in slow motion. But it should be more than that to capture our main character's Mm -hmm. imagination. And uh, like I said, I don't I don't. I don't blame that actor. I just really think the part is written in this useless way from scene to scene to scene. She's, she's either this vacuous empty thing that, that, that all of us guys in the audience, like the writers can mold into whatever we want her to be, or she's, or she's, or she's just a foil. She's just getting in the way of our hero, getting what he wants, which is, Mm -hmm. that's actually more interesting, but it's, she has two moments. She essentially has two moments where she stands up for, you know, where, where she actually is a, you know, a, 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 you know, a business, but that one time when he, the one time when Brantley's uh, as Carlton is hiding for the first time from, um, from his uncle uh, and goes into her office and she's just like, She's like, this isn't the bathroom. What What do you do? You know, and that worked. That scene yeah. worked. For and, her. Say, and and then she gets one other moment where literally she goes, "I think Brantley. Or I mean, I think Carlton's uh, idea has merit." And everyone gets all upset. So it's like those, are, and that is literally the extent of um, you any know, her, interesting thing about. Yeah. Her. Now, I mean, you said she has the personality of a potato. I will say, potatoes are delicious. <laughs> They're good. Okay, um, you can say potatoes are delicious, and I will hold on. Together, Brian, you can say, or uh, Joel, you can say potatoes are delicious, and I can tell you, I can see why you like this movie so much, having watched it in the eighties as a teenage yeah. boy. It's right. Yeah, it's no, for way, it's yeah. for us. It really was made tailor made for us and only us. So we. I bought into the romance in that movie when I was a kid. You know, you mature and you look at things differently, but. And and as far as sexist movies of the eighties, it's just isn't the worst and sinner by a country mile. It's way way down yeah. on the list. But you're not wrong. It, everything no. about it is, and it it doesn't really it, it doesn't it, it has her in it, and it doesn't still doesn't bother to really address it at all. Even right. if there was some lip service to it, that would something helped. anything. It, the interesting yeah. thing is, I really do like the slapstick humor and the stuff that. Because the other woman in the movie is a kingmaker character. She's another kind of sexist cliche. Mm -hmm. Oh, she is. (laughs) Just a different kind. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah, the aging, uh, sexually repressed, you know, uh, that, you know, that, uh, um, the, the house, you know, not not the housewife, but the, and uh, she's a good actor too and brings a lot to that part, but it, because it's fun, but it's, so that's kind of where I'm saying, I don't even know that, I mean, so what? Portray the sexism. Yeah, exactly. Because that character, the aunt, was very interesting. I enjoyed yep. watching her. Mm-hmm. The Christy, I just, I was like, oh, God. It's well, he like said that line that Christy is the bimbo. That's read by the aunt in response. To yep. <laughs> and it's one of the biggest, funniest laugh lines in the whole thing. Christy's not a bimbo at all. That's yep. That's mean. But it's, she's jealous of this young, hot girl that's captured this guy's heart and and right. her saying that in the way she says it, it's one of those sort of perfect sing-songy line readings that I still enjoy. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, what's alarming about Secret isn't is again. It's not that it's it's not that it's the most misogynist movie. It's it it just shows you just how acceptable 
the right. misogyny of that type was at that time. And because that's, it wasn't done. It wasn't done in sarcasm. It right. was done as in it wasn't. You know, we'll get this. This. Uh, it was not a life reflecting art. It was art. It was art reflecting life, and and not even really knowing it was doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, easily and gladly, gleefully, sort of uh, making it the butt of a joke too. Yep. Um, right. So yeah. So yes, that was probably that. That is problematic. Uh, you know, obviously. <laughs> Uh, all of these things are problematic, and it's it, it is important that we bring that we we uh, bring up these issues. We'll talk about issues like that um, in in the other movies as well. Um, we all, you know, I think um, you know John Panko. This was the first, you know, John Panko who he's uh, great in it. He's the uh, is, he's the mailroom sidekick. He's the buddy in the mailroom. You know, Very fun. who's just like yeah, who's you know, it's that that class that class warfare sort of thing. Going <laughs> right. On. He's the um, he's the guy. I don't want to say he's content with his lot in life, but he just he's he, he's the he's the New Yorker in the story. You know, all you really yeah. have is high finance and and this this country bumpkin, and he's the he's the guy on the street telling us like it is, and it, that works pretty great. I have mm -hmm. to say, uh, wonderful really cameo. Good. Two wonderful cameos. One by Mercedes Rule as a uh, not as really a, a cameo. It's just a bit part. She wasn't famous for anything yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before cameo. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and uh and Bruce McGill as the guy who essentially gives them the whole. That's oh, it, you that is a truly uncredited cameo, yeah. and it's brilliant. Bruce McGill is. He's Jesus, so man, he's so good. That, yeah. I love every that time scene, he pops in something. Yeah, his smile when he says, "If we gave you a, gave you the experience, you'd take that experience and get a better job." <laughs> it's so Just, it's so, he's like, eh, yeah, he's wearing that. Yeah, it, it's so that's um, fun. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, and and we were talking about uh, the un, you know, the 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 far fetched uh, elements of Brantley learning all of the essentially learning the entire ins and outs. Yeah, and, and during one and picnic, think, setting up some multi conglomerative deal yeah. with just a couple of execs, you know, sort of but waving thing, his magic wand. But one thing I think the two of you are missing is that all of these things are possible when you have a David Foster. Mm soundtrack to accompany that montage boy and now when you have you can be yeah people can be cynical about david foster but boy does his music and the songs that he wrote and produced elevate this film it it, it dates it terribly but yeah, yeah. i don't know it, it it already does that to itself so um, I will say, even as I mean, what one i want to talk about all the wonderful things about david foster in this movie i will say his romance the the mix on it because of the the sort of the plinky plunky electronic pl piano that he uses a mm -hmm. lot in his music, but especially mm -hmm. in this, in the quiet, you know, like in the quiet romantic, uh, uh, like in the when they're when the they're falling in love on the Staten Island ferry, essentially, uh, yep. and all those things, his music is mixed way too high. It actually, to me, it gets in the way. It that's but, that's really a result. I'll just let you know of. Mm -hmm a home video uh surround remix more than anything that, okay okay that's well, and it's it's that. very typical of universal yeah. films of that time just so you know sure sure and i would and and you I mean obviously i didn't see this movie in theaters because i was i was i don't young. remember I don't, what it was what the but, sound mix was like in the theater i just own a ton of movies and i know that universal catalog titles uniformly 
are they have their spe- helicopters and music are way too loud sure. to the point that the dialogue is way too quiet and you and you there's no normalization happening there and because of that you have to turn up the movie to hear people talking and when the music comes in it it's overwhelming in an action movie that's annoying but you uh, you would you would brain adjust to it in light romantic moments it's intolerable it really does screw things up but it's not it's not All really right, criticism so of the music. It's the way they... Then that's, even, that's what even makes this movie even better then. The one criticism I had, aside from the sexism and misogyny, is... Which, which that, as that, 14-year-old boys were totally willing to overlook yeah, at the this, time. It was totally bad. Yeah. Also, real quick, I cannot think of anything that would cause me more stress as a performer, as an actor, than to say, all right, I just want you to go up and take a drink from this drinking fountain while we film you doing it close up. All I would day go, long. I would go, the, the idea of just like, uh, and make it, what What are my lips doing? What are, Cause you know that there's, there are reels yeah. and reels of footage of her looking ridiculous doing that. And they were mm-hmm. only able to use the little bits they had that w- sort of worked and felt romantic. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, the music, <laughs> the music helps. Let's go back to the music. Yeah, the music, yeah. The, the and music not just helps his, in that moment a yeah, lot. And not just his uh, instrumental stuff, which he has, but uh, David Foster's all over um, a lot of the other. Yeah, uh, David's other a super producer who, you know, produced the Bodyguard soundtrack and is responsible for all the arrangements and the new material and that, you know. He, he's produced all of Celine Dion's records and just monster albums, especially from the 90s and stuff. But uh, in the 80s, what Dave was most famous for was these soundtracks. He did a couple of movie soundtracks, but they're iconic ones. This was the, the second big one. The first big one was St. Almost Fire. And oh. I can tell you that what they wanted, what they told him was, we want that we want saying almost fire we want the instrumentals to sound like that we want the hit songs to be released we want the videos to show clips from the movie and we want that thing just do that again and it it's secret of my success truly is do that again if you even mm-hmm. look at the album the the night ranger song the theme to the song the album the movie it's the first song. It's the Man in Motion song from the the next song, which yep. on Saint Almost Fire is Billy Squire. On Secret of My Success is Pat Benatar, yep. and it, it just follows the exact form in every sort of way, soundtrack and film alike. And the gazebo song, when when uh, Brantley slash uh, Whitford is making his big deals, is it sounds just like it's got the little Jeremy Lubbock strings that sound just like yep. uh, Saint Almost Fire is his famous hit single from that, that an actual instrumental song from a movie that was a hit hey, a top 40 hit mm-hmm. yeah Sorry. uh perhaps if they would have done a good character development with christy you would have had your academy nominees yeah i mean Chris, <sighs> i mean yeah. they had a they had a plan for success speaking yeah. honestly it's not a movie uh, that's even remotely going for that but but no. I'm kidding. I mean, no. I mean, uh, the, the, the only the only person to me, the type of movie that it is, uh, and and I, you know, and we're joking a lot about this, but Margaret Witten as Vera Prescott as the aunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, in in if this were a better film, that would have been the role that could have been recognized. Right. Um, I right. do think I do think secret the song secret of my success 
um, because there were only three songs nominated that year. Um, uh, that song, my... it, again, it's a really busy, overproduced 80s pop yeah. metal song. So that's probably not going to be nominated for Academy Award. But that song is one of the most well-produced, sort of immaculately perfect little pieces of music ever. We're going to throw it up on YouTube so you can listen to it if you want. It, you know, it's... It's silly and cheesy. It's Night Ranger we're talking about, and they're talking about mm -hmm. making it big in the big city, and it's with their it, flying V guitar. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's. Oh. I don't want to say that it's not silly, but just listen to everything. It even has even when it's winding down and there's only thirty seconds to go, they bring in the sing along na 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 part, which isn't anywhere mm -hmm. else in the song. It's like they just keep throwing awesome pop yep. song ideas at the thing until it can't fit anymore. And I, yeah. I quite dig it. I also like David, you know, David, David's uh, synth programming, like his sound of New York, both in that song and in the film is, it's got this busy techno sort of, it doesn't sound like anything else that's in any other movie or on any other album at the time. He really created this sound out of scratch. And I think that's kind of cool too. Yeah. Um, 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 when you I see the mobs of New Yorkers really walking down the street, and you have right, and even That's though his the upper uh, skyway thing, yeah. um, I might have to watch this movie again just for yeah. the music because I, I mean, I remember catching it, but I it's cheesy, overproduced eighties pop music, so it's not as yeah. I should have. It's not so special, have but it. Back. This film without it, this film with like Bill Conti doing the music or something, yep. it would not be um, anywhere near as hip or, or cool as it was in 1987. He really one, did. You know, one one little thing. trick that the movie does get away with is using um, two other incredibly popular songs that aren't on the soundtrack. Uh, that aren't that don't yeah that aren't even on the soundtrack. Yellows. But, oh yeah, it comes to mind. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. Katrina and the Waves walking on sunshine. Yep. Yeah, um, those songs fact, existed for quite a while before they showed up in this movie. But and they were say, and they were the two most they were the two best utilized songs. The oh yeah used in the used in the the bedroom farce scene and in the, the um, limo ride and as in well. the limo. Yeah, yeah, those two. Yeah, and then um, walking on sunshine actually has one of my favorite edit to uh, edit cuts in in all of movies it's the you know and then the moment katrina comes in with the yow is when he's pulling he jumps and pulls on his pants uh because he's he's changing from whitfield into back into brantley yep it makes me it makes me so happy every single time i'm like yeah you get him brantley you go, Bradley Conquer, New York. Oh yeah, it's more famous, <laughs> I think, for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but it, it I, was yes. used. It was used first here and really, was really it? well. So yeah. Oh, I did not realize that. See, that's funny. I was watching it, and that distracted me. I was like, "Why are they using?" Yeah, Ferris I think Bueller's if you go back and watch Secret for the first time now, you you know that song really, really well, and it's used iconically someplace else. Right. Just giving right. it a little credit. Yeah, and right. and Katrina was just used for the trailer and was on the temp score and they they just were like well we everyone agreed we just have to pay the rights to this he yep. they, this is this fits perfect yep. because you know when you hire a big time producer to make ten new songs for a for a movie you expect to use those and not these other things but 
they were they was wise and the foster being a kind of musical guy who gets how music fits he he was like yeah definitely that's a keeper you want to leave that in there yeah that's cool um all right um so secret of my success i think we all agree is one of the greatest films um ever made um but we have to talk about some of these other films (laughs) um no (laughs) no secret of my success is is a cheesy fun fine uh it's it's alex p keaton for 90 minutes instead of just 30 yeah and despite Um, its issues there it is it is good-hearted throughout and that really is that really is some cynical you know uh mass, overtly masculine writers mixed with this sensitive director storyteller who brings out the humanity wherever it's possible to do so that that tug of war is happening in it all the way through the end mm-hmm. but what it really it just is is it just wants to make you laugh and have a good time and feel good when it's over and it more or less works on that level yep. i think um so because the secret of my success was this absolute runaway hit massive movie that was uh, became part of the um cultural zeitgeist uh the next year hollywood knew that it needed to darken things up a little bit yeah well this um, film was no, actually i'm, kid- in I'm the, kidding I'm this kidding. film's this again it has the exact same story which it wasn't criticized much for at the time it, it is also an identity farce it's like literally the same thing just you know the guy and the girl well that's yeah. a big switch and and we're and talking about Working Girl now. Was very well developed. Working Girl it, was yeah, originally girl. written where the hero was a guy. That's the one big switch that they made, which makes all the difference in the world. Matter of fact, wow. it's it's nothing without that switch. It's just no. Secret of My Success again. Maybe exactly. a little little bit better, a little bit more classy. Yeah. But if Secret of My Success is a synth up big drum Night Ranger song. Working Girl's a sort of feminist Carly Simon singer-songwriter song, truly. And that they're, those things represent the films, I think, very, very well, right? Yeah. So uh, Mike Nichols, um, you know, director of The Graduate, amongst many other things. I just watched his, his Primary Colors the other day. I still think that film is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of of its day, like this one is, but still really, really, really good. Um, so he's a really renowned filmmaker um, coming to this material, and again, it's all it's all written by guys again, isn't it? Didn't the guys write the script? And yeah, I mean, Kevin Wade is the um, one who's uh, credited with the uh, with with the screenplay, but yeah, I mean, it's Mike Nichols produ- produced by uh, Douglas Wick. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's all yeah, dudes I mean, it's making all... the movie, like like most of the movies at this time. But there is something that the the switching the female to a put upon secretary of the era, and having the villain of the piece be a female as well, just completely makes it a meaningful thing, and it keeps it a meaningful thing until this day. Because how women were treated in the workplace is now front and center um you know the things that were expected of them the the just the just the when you watch it it's it it's so of its time in a way although we still deal with sexism in the workplace to this day but the the workplaces that you go into are just 
full of just women assisting men with everything they do. There's this weird slave ship sort of feel to all those scenes when you watch it. I don't, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it really does feel oh, like yeah. here's the They're poor people up. over here that are, are servants and here's all, and it's not there. There's some women executives and stuff. So the film recognizes that, but the culture is completely weighted. You know, it, I, I think I liked this is that it, it, addressed sexism it wasn't like okay this doesn't exist or it's bad really either you know yeah. but it's showing it well there's the actual sexual assault scene with kevin spacey in the limousine i mean that that uh that's sort of it has a the she has a punchline at the end and sort of gets the last word on him but that scene but is is disgusting and horrible and it's her co-workers that pimped her out to this guy well, and and they happy. knew what was going to happen, and it's like a joke to them. So there's this fraternity nastiness to it all at the yeah. beginning of the movie. That, but it shows rough. it. I mean, it sets it up. And even though you know she gets the last say or whatever, yeah, it's a heavy thing. And you know, and they're looking at it like in life. You know what I mean? This happens, and she keeps going. And that's kind of how life is. They didn't sugarcoat that. They didn't change it. And so I'm good with that. And, and Melanie Griffith, she's got this really soft voice that I remember when I first watched it, I was like, oh, gosh. I mean, I was young back in, I don't know, junior high or whatever. It's like, oh, man, uh, here we go. A dumb woman in a role. But it, it's like they did that on purpose. And But they let her show that she was smart and they developed her character and all of that. So I don't know. It, there's a lot of growth in the movie by most everyone involved, which is again, typically there's no, none of that in secret of my success. There's no growth. Right. It, that's that guy shows up on the scene and he's magical and he just needs his magic to be recognized. She, right. uh, she she's in the exact same situation. She assumes the identity of a of another executive while her boss is out of town. Her boss, I, brilliantly played by Sigourney Weaver. Was that our top Sigourney Weaver performance back in our top ten Sigourney Weaver episode? Oh boy! Uh, it was. Give me a moment. That's the very. Good if it question. wasn't the very top performance, it wasn't the third either. She it's mm -hmm. it. She's a absolute powerhouse of a character and a, the performance is just spot on because it's, it's fun and it's hilarious and yet it's just dark and awful. And you just and realize so real. Yeah. It's so, so real. believable it, while being so broadly entertaining at the same time. That's not an easy mix to achieve. Right. My mom worked at Pillsbury back in the 1980s. And I remember she had a female boss that like did the same thing to her my mom had a really like breathy voice kind of and came off probably, you know, kind of flutty, flighty or whatever, but she was really smart. And this boss did pretty much the same thing to her. I mean, it really shows. Just held her down, belittled her, kept, made sure that her ego was always in check. Well, and would, you know, my mom would give ideas and she would take them Steal as them. hers. Yep. And it really showed the kind of women on women competition you know really well it, it, it's very which real. is understandable when you see the world mm -hmm. of the story the insecurity that causes that sort of that sort of antagonism and animosity well it, it comes from one 
if you have one woman, if you have one executive position for a woman, right? That I mean, you're gonna. That's you know, they were climbing on top of each yep, other. To you're get gonna kick, it. scratch, and crawl to keep it. It, it right. It, it, actually, it really comes off well. And Sigourney, I can't tell you, everything that comes out of her mouth is just magic. She's, and she's so, so good at it. It's really, really well written. You know, like I, like, like with Helen Slater and <laughs> Secret, I, it's, that's really, that character is really not well written. When she has a chance to be something decent in it, she manages it because she's a good actor. But Sigourney's yeah. given this jewel of a role. Just and go, Sigourney. Gets every, yeah, and gets every bit of, juice out of it imaginable you um, know it, it, it's interesting really quick because i think with secret of my success what it's lacking that working girl got working girl is clever it's very clever and while secret of my success was i i really enjoyed so many pieces about it but it just wasn't clever yeah well, and it didn't reflect any sort of reality. They're both fantasies. They both have a silly right. romance in the middle of it. They both right. are really implausible. They Neither of them. Working Girl a little more than Secret of My Success, because Working Girl at least explains some of it. But neither of them really go into the details of acquisitions and that sort of thing. Uh, in no. any sort of believable way. That's just what they're hanging the movie on. But the, the feminist slant and the reality of the world of the story that it shows makes all the difference. We should talk about top-billed Harrison Ford. <laughs> who the, plays the Christie role in Working Girl. Yeah. But to Harrison's credit, I, he knows that. he He's playing this guy with this sort of... I mean, because he's a movie star and he knows that too. He, he's really good at doing both things. And this this role is really important that he understand that he's a sidekick to this hero. The actor has to understand that, or it wouldn't oh, yeah. work. He replaced Alec Baldwin at the last second because the studio didn't like the idea that they had two relative unknown actors really? in the leads. Um, I actually think Baldwin would have been better. Well, he might have been. He would have been a more believable sort of hot shot, and he would have been a little more on her level, so their relationship, I think, would have been more relatable. I like Harrison as the older guy who isn't even into this sh shit anymore and it just like is losing his edge because of it and it sort of needs her to come along to inspire him in a way. Like I find that that is believable and cool yeah. um, that it wouldn't be that way with Alec. Alec, because they loved him and because they basically told him he had the role and then had to tell him he didn't, offered him the role of, of Tess, Melanie Griffith's character's cheating boyfriend. Oh. Which he's great at. I mean, he he yeah. they, all the everyone who worked on that movie says because Alex, uh, he's got a reputation for being him and Edward Norton and for just being hard to work with because he's kind of a perfectionist and a big personality. But they said yeah. he was just a dream. He accepted the smaller role and he imbued this guy who's this thug sort of ugly cheating guy on paper and brought all this humanity. It's sort of a little bit of understanding and cuddliness to him that would make you understand where he is as a person that just isn't, that isn't there, you know, and that's, I, take it back. I think you're right. I, that, that they got that right. Well, they got lucky with it. I, I'm not, I don't think so. Yeah. You never know, but they, well, the two guys uh, in both roles really bring a lot. to They them. do, but I, I think you're right. I think 
Yeah, Alec definitely brings a lot to the ex-boyfriend who, who on paper truly is just a jerk. If you just look at the lines, you can see what he's saying. It, there's nothing to it. And he's, we catch him, you know, bonking this other woman, their, their mutual friend, which is, uh, I mean, it's funny. It's played for shock and laughs when it happens, but his, what's he say? What I thought you weren't coming home till seven. Yeah, no he, just says he, just goes, he just goes, no class tonight. <laughs> Oh my God! It's yeah, it's like no, no class. It's um, it's funny, and, and his attempt to to reconcile with her and stuff is pathetic and sad because we're watching her grow away from this uh-huh. lifestyle and everything about it, and he's gonna be trapped there forever. You just feel that, and there's a sadness to that in a way. Joan Cusack too suffers that as as her her buddy, the John Pankow character. Basically, they're mm-hmm. all the same. In each film, truly. Yeah. But I do find um, it funny that Harrison Ford, who gives, who's the name above the title star in the film, who doesn't even show up till forty minutes into the thing, it truly is the the Christie character from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's yeah. not very useful. He he steps up in a couple places where he has to, but uh, it's but cool to see a movie star her. play a guy that's as sort of flawed and useless as that. Um, but they also let the women shine. Yes. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it, I mean, it's indicative of that because Griffith was up for best actress. Sigourney Weaver was up for best supporting actress, as was Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's the same movie flipped, given the women the role and the men were supporting. It's the same it was- story, but the movies are a lot different and it's because yep. there's just a lot more... Character I mean, department. Working Girls even more of an '80s movie, really. If you oh, just yeah. want to, like you say, if you want to judge it by the height of the shoulder pads or the hairstyles, yeah. they're. I think they're a little even. I don't want to say this for sure because there was hair like this, but I think everybody in the secretary pool and has exaggerated sort of. That's done yeah. on purpose in a knowing way in the film. I think mm-hmm. we. I didn't notice it at the time. I'm just like, well, this. This is what people's hair looks like, you know. It, for somebody, well, people from the '60s who were writing and directing this, they kind of—I think—they had an understanding that eh, we won't always look like this. This is a little weird, and this is sort of a character right, right now. The world this is very much what we are in. Let's now. exaggerate yeah. the '80s to really make um, it. And the thing is, but when you were young and watching that, it made it look cool. I remember being like, "This." Yeah. But her is- transformation is when she tones down her hair. When she becomes a more timeless-looking, elegant thing, right. based on the look well, of her boss. I also think that there's an element of Staten Island versus the rest of. Yes, that's your, true too. You know, I yep. think there's there's definitely a, a Staten Island element. I, I I was I missed a little bit. Of, I didn't miss that. I was listening to everything you guys were saying, but I was looking up our our Sigourney Weaver show here. Mm. Um, but I did want to my my favorite mo- one of my favorite moments, especially in the uh, Alec Baldwin. Uh, um, Melanie Griffith plotline is that moment at the um, at the uh, engagement part or not the engagement party but like the yeah, they're two different dinner yeah um, the rehearsal dinner thing where they're <laughs> they're trying to get him to uh, propose to you know to, to Melanie Griffith oh my god and there's the doesn't your heart shot. just sink when that when yeah. you feel that that's about to happen it's just like absolutely no, it does. no 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 um, <laughs> and 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 th- there's a quick shot to the woman that. That he was Alex cheating Baldwin, on, who's at this party? That he was cheating. Absolutely, on. Dis- she's destroyed. 
It's fantastic. Because everyone has just like completely ignored her. And they're like, yeah, no, wouldn't it be awesome if you got engaged? To the rest our- of the world, she's still just a dirty secret. It, yeah. It, it's it's really clever cut. It's this great To include moment, her in that man. moment. Yeah. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it also is, again, another, uh, it's a, a nice quick way to illustrate just kind of what a, uh, 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 how we're all the stepping stones sleaze, for each other, yeah. you know? And, and yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it, Alec Baldwin's character, that boyfriend character is, you know, not a good guy. Um, and, uh, oh, and my other thing is I, uh, we haven't talked, uh, about the Carly Simon song yet. Um, but, uh, that's an Oscar winning song. It's one of two songs in the history of the, of, of award shows to win all three major awards. Only two songs Mm -hmm. have ever done it. I can't remember what the other one is. Really? Um, yeah. um, Raindrops keep falling on my head. Maybe I I don't know which, what the other one is, but only, only one song won the globes, won the Oscar one. And this is one of them. My, my, um, I did. I did uh, really thoroughly enjoy though the um, because the let the river run was such uh, you know, it, that was the anthem. That was the light motif of the thing. The yep. sort of Carly the, Simon the, is credited as doing the score for the movie, although yeah. she, she had a lot of help with it. Um, but the, but like it's still, the, it's consistent. The theme keeps repeating. It, yeah, it's and, really and lovely some of those done. Times, some of those times where it repeats, like the little elevator, there's like a couple times where it's like the elevator music version of Let mm-hmm. the River Run. And, and it's, um, yeah, exactly. And, and, That's and, hilarious. Because, and because I'm able to, you know, because there's distance and everything, there was, I, I actually openly guffawed a couple times. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that that was what they were doing with the music. But there. it's, it's, um, it's very David Foster-esque, like, except it's, it is subtler and kind of better in in every way honestly as a score which yeah, is su- interesting subtle yeah subtler especially especially uh real quick um working girl and aliens tied on our sigourney weaver ah. uh, episode oh aliens yeah, well, yeah aliens, aliens working girl. four-part deep dive is coming in the future <laughs> yes it will be <laughs> it's like our favorite movie ever or it's one of my favorite movies ever so okay yeah. um but she's working girl you know she was nominated for best actor best uh, actor and best supporting actor in the same year she was nominated for Gorillas in the Mist the same year as she was nominated supporting for Working Girl and, and uh, yeah I don't know who, I don't remember who won somebody awesome that year but Sigourney Weaver and Working Girl she's so good she's just every she's note perfect in every scene and she wasn't she was Ripley in the Aliens films but she wasn't you know, she was in Deal of the Century and Ghostbusters, and she just wasn't a. She was this. She liked doing comedies and hanging out with comedians, which is why she's in a lot of. She's in a couple great comedies, but she's in a ton of dumb ones too because of that. And this is a light comedy, really. In the end, that's it's not more than that, but it it. She's just stunningly good in it. Her whole stuff thing when she's laid up. I also have to say, which is kind of funny. There's a there's. She's got the stuffed animals and stuff. She's this weird, eccentric kind of lady. And, and there's a picture of her coming out of the helicopter with a big stuffed gorilla under her arm that she got as a present while she was late. She's laid up the whole middle of the movie with a skiing accident, which is how all the farce happens. It's how she loses her boyfriend and her her, her job gets taken over by another person is because she... She goes on vacation and gets injured, and then she's out of the picture, so all this stuff is able to happen. But her getting out of the helicopter with the gorilla under her arm, and then I saw on internet where I think it was a troll, but it was still really funny, where it was like, 
you know, Sigourney Weaver nominated for Best Actress for Gorillas in the Mist with this picture from Working Girl of her in the business suit with the stuffed gorilla on her arm. And I don't know why. If it's a mistake, it's hilarious. If it's somebody pretending to make a mistake, it's equally hilarious. So it's worth giving a shout out to whoever made me laugh out loud that day because it's hard Uh, to do. Gina Davis won for The Accidental Tourist that year. She's really, really good in Accidental Tourist. That's a good movie. Yep. Uh, I always knew that in the back of my mind, Sigourney's probably better, but that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Gina's really good in Accidental Tourist, which is not, that's not an easy role to play. No. Accidental Tourist side uh, side trivia. Uh, Kathleen Turner, they were, the studio were insisting she take that role, the, the dog walker romantic pixie dream girl role. Mm-hmm. And Turner, when she read it, just said, I, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll, if you want, I'll do the other role of the, cause you know, she could relate to that, but she knew they, and her agent, I read an interview with him. He knew you're, you're skipping the role. That's going to get you all the attention and the, that's everyone's going to love. What are you doing? And she's like, somebody needs to, stand up for this woman and if you cast me in the other role they won't have anyone do it and it was really knowing and it kind of makes the movie well and the thing is is that gina davis plays a very believable ditz for playing you know for being an archer woman in the olympics and it's on what's what's that group the really smart group mensa with an m Mensa. mensa mensa she's in mensa you know for being in Mensa and being a really remarkable person, she plays a great ditz. And right. Kathleen Turner plays a really good, strong woman. Right. You really, know what I mean? Really it's- tough. Yes, really tough. To uh, Kathleen saw the truth of it. All the yeah. suits saw was we want a star here and here. Right. You know that she where, saw. Where the- can we put them in a slot that will make the most money? We think. Right. So that's uh, sorry, uh, the sidetrack, but it's Sigourney, worth noting. Yeah, Sigourney, uh, Sigourney lost uh, for Gorillas in the Mist. She lost to Jodie Foster in The Accused that year. Which, you know. So. Well, yeah. it's, what, it's what just really bad luck. Who did she lose to while we're here, if you don't mind looking it up? Who'd she lose to in 86 for Aliens? That's her only other nomination. Before you answer that. I think I it's really... Cher, but I don't nope. remember. Nope. What, what are you going to say there, Shauna? Um, I don't know if you guys have done this, but I think we should do for a, a future show movies that won the Academy Award that we don't think they should have and who we think should have. Shauna, we have a whole thing called the al- alternate Oscars where we do that all the time. I'm if you have a particular category you'd like to add, look it up and pick a couple and we'll do it. Hell yeah. Um, I was talking to my husband about this. We have ideas. Good, the, good. The, uh, the winner that year um, over Aliens, uh, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. She was never uh, going to win for Aliens, but she is amazing no, in it. Well, and, and that year, I mean, listen to this lineup. Sigourney That's Weaver, just not Oscar-worthy stuff. It's Turner, amazing enough she yeah. was nominated and they recognized yeah. how good she is. That year, what the nominations were Sigourney Weaver for Aliens, Kathleen Turner for Peggy Sue Got Married, uh, Sissy Spacek for Crimes of the Heart. I know who won. Jane Fonda for The Morning After. And Marley Matlin. No chance. She had no chance. None of those other ladies, all brilliant, had no chance. Was it Marley, Marley that won it? For Marley Matlin and Children, Children of a Lesser God. God. Yep. yep. Um, uh, all right, so uh, no chance. yeah, working girl, working. <laughs> I always knew that. I knew she was up against a murderer's row in yeah. a way that where you couldn't win, but I always just feel bad. Yep. Um, so we're yeah, working girl. Uh, I mean, I think we could say you know m- maybe 
on some levels marginally better than Secret of My Success. <laughs> I will. I will. Hey, Secret of My Success came first, and they are both the exact same story. So no, Secret gets some credit for that. It has to. It was it came out a whole year earlier, but yeah. um, but I, I mean, Working I, Girl with the with the female at the heart of it. The, and like I said, the female bad guy that really makes a difference. It's not the jilted does. ex-lover or any of the romantic people that are antagonists to her. It's her boss and her mentor and her, the person she's kind of impersonating. That's the bad person in it. And that's, that's a stunning thing that rings true and really, really works. The all, Every way they show the misogynist workplace is enlightening and not just goofy fun. You know, um, so it, it just makes everything different. It's wonderful. when, And the fantasy is still rich and wonderful. When, when Harrison's packing her lunch for her at the end of the movie, and when she comes into the office and thinks, she, th when she my, thinks yeah. she's just another secretary all of a sudden, and you see, that's so, her reactions moment, are so yeah. honest and real and amazing. I, it's just... It's a. It's we're talking amazing. about the yeah. What I what I yeah. I really I really love. I mean, we're talking about the denouement of the of the story. The main story is done, and yet we still get this last little moment of of where where her character is still. She's still growing. It's not like she comes in. You know, right. The whole. I mean, the thing about secret of my secret of my success and working girl. You know, those movie. These movies work. It's it's a testament to the power of that old saying of if you walk into a room with enough confidence, people are going to believe you. You know, you can go in. You know, you can get yourself. You can go into a party that you're not invited to if you walk in with confidence. Right. Um. And you. You know. And and. Um. So it's this great moment where all of that confidence has been stripped away yep. and, and, and yet she's, and so this, she has this moment where, yeah, she thinks she's going to be out in the cubicle outside the office. And, um, and she even, you know, the, the, the great little misdirect with the secretary making a personal phone call. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really, really perfect ending to the film. that really works so, a lot. It's really, really, yeah, it's really lovely. Because yeah, you really I, I, feel like, for a second you feel along with her like you kind of know better but you just have that twinge of doubt like my god we're all the way back to square one now mm -hmm. there's it's still a fantasy but there's nothing like that in, in secret mm -hmm. i mean there's just it's really it's really yeah. well done and carly's music that the let it, the river run in let the you. river run it's a working title <laughs> was a wall street hymn and it really is a hymn it oh. really, yeah. It in my email to well, Joel, I called it a gospel rave up, but it really is more of a, a hymn. It's it's, mm -hmm. and the song goes out of its way to not be about ambition. It tries to be about something different, and the movie's like that too. The movie's about ambition in you know New York and in Wall Street, but it it's about more than that. It's about something deeper than that, and that's that's why it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, and, and this this just occurred to me, so this might get muddled. Um, but you know, one of the fundamental differences in why Working Girl, even though they're the same plot, Working Girl is a superior film, is because Working Girl is about ambition, where I feel like Secret of My Success is more about money. Yeah, it is more about money whoever, equals success. Money equals the success. S's in Secret of My Success are literally dollar literally signs dollar on signs. the poster, so but, <laughs> you probably yeah, but, have onto something there. Yeah, but yeah, but Melanie, you know, Tess is not out for money. She's out for ambition. She's out for she. She can do this. Even her big scheme in the in the yeah. film is based on 
some sort of family connection or some sort of way people can come together to help each other out, which is not really. Yeah. What it's a win-win. Yeah. It's a win. It's not win. what yeah, she, she, hospital she takeovers and <laughs> mergers are about mergers and acquisitions, but. Yep. Well, and if I may really quick, it's kind of, it goes back to Steven Spielberg going into the office and he was building his reputation. It wasn't about money. Right. It was ambition. How can and, I get people to listen to me? Yeah. yeah, well, and, and building his idea, building what he could do, you know, getting to that point, which I think Secret of My Success lost that kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it played it all for laughs. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, yeah. it took all of that. Yeah, and it doesn't said, take okay, it seriously. How do and we, how do and I have to say, fun? Working Girl, when we know how mergers and acquisitions work, Working Girl as a romantic fantasy where this young, ambitious girl makes good, you know, it... It, what we know about that world of that story, it, it's still sort of laughable and out of touch with what the reality was on the ground. I think yeah. and that it, they're both have that problem. They're both Hollywood feel good movies. You know, we've talked about in fairness, the substance involved in working girl and it is all there. It's why I think it's a great movie, but it wants it's you still, to look out feeling good. It's still using this high finance world, which was a ruthless, unfeeling, uncaring place and and is to this day it's even worse now it oh yeah it it, it it's the idea that this happy thing could take place there with the fraud involved or something. it's it's laughable if you break it down if you do what ariana richards suggests in prancer and just think about it right it doesn't really the interesting work but. thing is is that i think that's partly why um nobody really won for it because yeah. You know oh, sure. what I mean? Yeah. It, it, they yeah. put a the song one, but that was it. it. Yeah. And I would say, I think that's why Wall Street did so well. What a perfect transition. Thank You're you. stealing Joel's Did job. You see that? Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. I'm, nice. I, I'm not needed. Okay, go ahead, Shauna. I'm not, <laughs> here, go ahead. You can run the show. You got the segues down. Uh, All, right. Back here. All right. On that note. <laughs> yeah. I am so glad that you guys assigned me Wall Street. I am so glad. So I have to preface this by saying partly the reason that I suggested that we go this route is because my finance background, my background is finance. So I uh, went to get my MBA in finance. And when I was in school, I actually was in a class that went for an entire year it was called the Aristotle Fund, and it was started by George Schultz, of this uh, founder of Best Buy, donating a million dollars to St. Thomas that the students would invest as if they were an investing house. <laughs> Me. It was the hell, most hellish class anything that I've ever done. So competitive, just crazy. I mean, it, you had to get up in the morning, get on your computer, follow the stock market, and you went to bed following the stock market because you were 100% responsible for the stocks that you bought through this class. So mm -hmm. I ended up going into commercial or not commercial, but um, finance in, in, you know, in corporate, corporate finance. Thank you. And so I got out of the whole stock market thing because it is, it, I mean, my little bitty taste of it was so crazy. 
it was not for me. Um, but I appreciated Wall Street because of that class and I understand it and watching what they did in the financial world and how they told the story and how complex it is and how well they got it across. I mean, it was their finance in this, com in this story was really smart. It was about a financial transaction. Right. The whole story is about one financial transaction and where the other two, they're fun. And, you know, we kind of went really light and not believable to working girl, more developed, but still not a finance movie. This right. movie was about Wall Street. Yeah. And so it's, it's, a, like, it's a tonic for the fantasies that the other movies are, because this film is the same thing. It's got this young, ambitious cat who wants to rise up through the ranks and has to go to extreme measures to sort of break through and get people's attention. Like all that is the same, but the world he inhabits, it feels much darker and more believable. And, and uh, just from the get go, even when the plots sort of match, but it's, it's, it, this, this story turns out to be a nightmare of obsession and ambition where the other films are, are dreams with happy endings. Well, and, it, and it's, so it's very powerful in that way. And the, like you say, Gecko, the finances, right? Well, Gecko's uh, character, I mean, his main line that came out of this movie was greed is, for the lack of a better word, good. Good. It's the most famous greed, speech. It's one of the most famous speeches in all the movies. Greed is good. And yeah. I mean, they played this out so well because I, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps a little bit. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> the story of this right. is so good because the thing is, is that so having Bud, the young Charlie Sheen, you know, trying yeah, he's to. He's our hero, Bud. Right, and he sees Michael Douglas's character. Gordon Gecko, very famously. Gordon Gecko. What did they call him, an elephant? Uh, did they call him an, an elephant? The, it's the big guy, the big guys they're trying to get. It's kind of, mm -hmm. I think about. Oh like, yeah, the white the white elephant. It's the rare un thing that the hunters are trying to, yeah, yes. Right, yeah. and it reminds me of like in Las Vegas and they call the big gamblers whales. Yeah. You we'll want the whale. You want you the whale want to come. You want the white elephant and, you know, Gecko, for whatever reason, he can do no wrong. This guy oh, is he so cheats. rich. What? Right. And he, he came from like a community college, I think he said at one yeah. point. And, you know, how is it this guy must be brilliant? How is it he does this? He is brilliant, but he's successful because he cheats. Right. And he doesn't get caught. I mean, right. they build this whole thing, you know, how they get the lawyer in there and they get Charlie Sheen to sign that he'll never take, you know, Martin Sheen with them or not Martin Sheen, uh, Kirk Douglas. No, Douglas. No. Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. Michael, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Michael Douglas. I think I, anyway, um, just how they propped this up and showed how this was possible was so remarkable to me and good. I mean, to have, Charlie Sheen then get into insider trading and it wasn't even just about, Oh, you know, what did you hear? It started out that way with his father's company, which is really hard to prove and it's okay. But then he had him, you know, 
following this other uh, guy. Uh, Terrence Stamp's character, uh, Lord Wildman. whatever. Wildman. Yeah, Wildman. And that's, you know, he's actually going out and pursuing this guy. Another really, really rich investment banker from England who... Um, who Kind of screwed yeah. Michael Douglas. But, but in a business way, in a legit way. He's, he's right. pa painted as a legit business guy who... He was who, smarter. Yeah, he he outsmarted. Smarter. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so it goes back... They, they, so Stamp's great, by the way. Just his voice. When he says Gordon's name, he only says it once. Gecko. And he says it with such contempt. Dis disdain. <laughs> exactly. And he, you know, and he plays it a, basically Gecko. an aristocrat. So he's this thing where, right. like, he's he saves the day in many respects, that character in the film. But he, right. but he still is this, I was born... Sir, what's this? You know what I mean? Like I, you, 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 community college kids, you you're know, new money. You're yeah, new you're. Money. I'm old you, money. You have no I'm, idea what it means to be anointed yeah. by God, like I am. It's it's it, it doesn't say and any of this, but it's all ever know. <laughs> it's all in the performance, which is fun. Yeah. Stamp is quite it, good. I mean, it's the battle of the egos, really, with these two guys. Yeah. And Bud Charlie Sheen just wants to get in there. Just give me a shot to even be close to it. So they've got him, you know, getting into this uh, the insider trading knowledge, yeah. and so it basically goes from being a, a hedge fund manager to being a which it's not they didn't quite have at the time, but that the equivalent of that to um, to being a private detective just hunting down insider information so that they can make the big deals based on it. It's it's quite a transformation, well, and, and he's really let into this world like it's. Now you're on the beach. Now you're at our dinner party. Now right. let me set you up with this most brilliant girlfriend that I think you'd like that I and used to screw around your with. Apartment, your new apartment. Let's so and let's get you addicted to all this stuff like, so well, that we. And so own hold on, Ryan. That's what I mean. Is that so? You know, Bud gets in there with the little bit of information that he knows about his dad's company <laughs> right. and. Michael Douglas sees this and he's like, okay, let's, you know, this kid's willing to bring this right. out. Right. Douglas doesn't think he's knows. brilliant that he brought him inside information. What he likes is that he was, he was corrupt enough to bring him inside information that he right. knew was yeah, coming right. from his so father. He knew, he knew that Charlie Sheen was giving him one information. Ah, screw it. That's a dog. Two information. Screw it. That's a dog. Right. Three information that nobody knows. But Gecko finds out that it was his father's company. Yep. So and suddenly Anacott's going, and suddenly uh, Blue Horseshoe loves that. Right. So company. all of a sudden Gecko is going, mm, you know what? This kid, he's willing to go across the line. Let's push him and see how far he'll go. And how much we can oh, make off of him. Here's the carrot. Here's the carrot. Look at my life. Look at my life. All you need to do is go investigate that guy. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody will know. I mean, who's going to find that out that you were personally investigating this guy, but sign this paper so that you don't take me down with it. Right. Okay. So all this is going, here's dad's company. Right. And watching, can I just add one thing? Watching yeah. Charlie Sheen play the same game on James Spader, his friend from school right. that right. is being played on him is right. choice. It's really, really Spader illustrates how he knows it's a scam. And yet, 
and he's using all the same phrases and stuff to sell it to this other guy who's clearly very nervous about it and everything else. It's and really I love that it. it's James Spader because he plays yeah. a sleaze better than nobody, but he's not in this one. Right, he's he like isn't. a scared guy like, oh, what do I do? Okay, so back <laughs> to this. So here we've got dad's business, you know, Martin Sheen, his own real dad. Yep. Here's his business. Dangle the carrot. Go follow this guy. I've pushed him. I've pushed him. And I've at this whole time, I'm building up this world. Don't you want this? Daryl Hannah's your girlfriend. She decorates your, your apartment in this over the top, most chic, 80s, amazing, crazy stuff. This it's is kind of clever from a decorating standpoint. She jokes about the exposed brick wall being a lame cliche, and then they build off that cliche as like a play on things when she designs. So even from a designer standpoint, there's a knowingness and a very smart bit of storytelling of going this, on there. Which it's is so smart. Yeah. So all of this is going on. He's got his girlfriend, you know, and they finally bring in the board members and his dad to try to sell them on Gecko being the guy that can bring this company bring the to the air, it's an class. It's an airline. It's a small airline, which is important because those in the late 80s, those were all dying like crazy. Right. And, it, you know, he, he's got this idea where he can save it. He can be a hero to his dad who he's trying to impress. He can right. make a deal that works for everybody, kind, very much and like Tess be. and Working Girl. Bring people and together to make a company a work. Deal. He's thinking it's a small deal, but it could go huge. And he's in with Gecko. I have facilitated this amazing deal. It's but either way, one... it's important to note it's a rescue plan. It's not a buy-off, oh, yeah. sell-off, make as no, much no, money no. as you can by breaking the thing up. He's well, come up with see, his big scheme is a, a rescue right. plan. So stop, Ryan. That's the thing. Is yeah. his Gecko sold it as I will bring this company to an unbelievable. Level and it will be awesome and everybody will be great. But he's tricking Bud, who's along with this. That's why he introduced his father to it. And he's thinking, I'm going to be this amazing guy. But I the think reason we could be wrong and we on, can't take on, Gecko at his word. Hold go on. Ahead. Hold on. Sorry, I, I'm on a train of thought and I no, need go to ahead. go with it. So the thing is, is that Bud sold this deal to Gecko because of the overfunded pension plan. Yes. This is right. very important. Yep. This is very important. And if you're not in finance, you probably, he says it twice. It's so important that it's brought up twice in the movie. And if you're not a finance person, you probably don't understand the reason why this is important. So this company, you know, they're selling it, we'll make all these changes, we'll bring in this amazing, uh, you know, technical stuff that's going to give us this competitive edge and all of that. And Gecko's selling all of this. And everybody except for Bud's dad is like totally on board. Like, this is amazing. That's great. And, and Bud's dad is like, you know what? No. Mm -mm. So he leaves the meeting. And then Bud goes to a meeting because of James Spader, wasn't it? I think so. James Spader brings him to a movie where he finds out that they are going to buy this company, dissolve it, sell off all the assets. And in order in, to do all of this, then they will access the cash from the overfunded pension, pension plan. plans. Yep. 
So in all of this, after all that happens, Bud's dad's company will be sold and all of the employees will be laid off and they won't have a pension plan. This is greed and badness in the worst way that you could ever, ever think. And what it is, is that they took Bud and they pushed the line, pushed the line, pushed the line, pushed the line. Are you going to screw your dad to become a stockbroker of this level? I mean, this is like the biggest line that you could cross. So this is where he's put to. He Not only will all of those people be unemployed, they will not have any pensions because Bud screwed his dad. So, I mean, this is really remarkable in the level of like greed and evil. It This is really good. It is a smart movie. Oliver Stone, uh, his dad was a floor trader on the New York Stock Exchange. So During he gets a lot of- session. Yeah, it gets a lot of inspiration from that. And they also had a really, really smart um, uh, consultant on it that that sort of came up with this exact thing that you're talking about. Because the film doesn't, like you, you're, I'm glad you told me to shut up because what you just said there is really important and the movie doesn't come out and explain that to you. It, 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 it just doesn't come out and explain that to it you the way a conventional movie does. It assumes that you know does. all of this. It yeah. assumes that you know all of this. And really, there's not many people that understand the complexities of right. finance. To, I mean, I wouldn't have if I wouldn't have gotten my MBA and been in finance. I but the deal it. is, it's, the, it's, it's what do we do so that we can steal the, the pensions? That's really right. all. That's really that the gist the of point. it. Yeah. And it, the whole point of this financial transaction is to steal that cash, overfunded pension plans. But you have to screw your dad and all of his employees to do it. All these people that you grew up around, these airline workers that you know all their names. you met at the bar and you drank with, and these people, the board members that you sold this whole plan to. Their kids that you went to high school with. All these people are going to be totally screwed by this. Amazingly screwed. And and Gecko doesn't just it isn't testing him like the devil. He 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 just he wants the money and he expects him to play along. Right. Why not? You've broken every rule up to this point. What you know what I mean? He he knew he might be upset, but you could tell he's a little surprised when he comes at him, pissed at yeah. him. He's like, I, "What? Do you, this is it? You want to be a player? This is how we do it." Well, and that it's really there's money there. We're taking it's really, it. It's another scene that. It's really interesting to me was when uh, Gecko and Bud met in Central Park and Gecko punches them a couple times. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, these are a few million dollars to Gecko. It's not the end of the world. You know, it's not going to change his business. He's, you know, when he's thinking about this, right. he's just really pissed that Bud didn't follow through. Right. I saw this in you. Why did you Right. Let this down. It it's it it is it is a classic villain performance where the villain really doesn't see himself as a villain at all. That that's why these always work best. But he he's he yeah he has Bud sign the thing, but he's not setting Bud up to take a fall. He really sees no. himself in him and wants to mentor him and bring him along. That part of the relationship is legit. Well, and he's looking at how far he can push Bud. 
okay, bud, you know, you're going to take the fall for this. If the push comes to shove, yeah. are you okay with that? Yeah. yeah I'm going to sign it. Cause I and, want that money. In the original script, uh, bud was having an affair with Sean Young's character, Michael Douglas's wife. And there's all this other oh. stuff that goes wrong. That's late in the much. film. Well, the movie doesn't need it. It would have made it no. 20 minutes longer. And apparently they, it, they, it would have been distracting. They got, well, and it, the Daryl Hannah doesn't like she doesn't like herself in the film and she doesn't like the movie at all. Um, but she's quite good in it. She's antithetical to kind of Daryl Hannah's this earth mother kind of giving person. And she plays this yuppie sort of, you know, right. social climbing like well, she's selling her soul, too, in. I think uh, if you have an affair, way. I think that relationship and in its consequences that way. are very clean in the story don't work as well. Well, but really, they wrote out the affair because Sean Young was just completely psychotic on the set. And they just kept, yes, she is. Well, they yeah, just Sean, kept writing well, out Sean her Young, stuff. Sean Young wanted to play the Daryl Hannah role. Right. Oh. So, yeah. So. And showed up kept, still wanting to do it. which Yeah, trying to get Daryl Hannah fired so that she could just step into the role. And Man. that's why she got casted out of the movies well, she's in there but she, yeah exactly she's so, fourth I mean, build or something her. and she just was written out it's difficult for her own career I'm but sorry, it helps so. it helps the movie not that good it helps the movie it keeps the relationship stuff that's in the movie clean and clear because right. it's very clear what hannah and bud's relationship are uh, and it also frankly keeps the mentor you know um, hero relationship, villain relationship, very clear too, because it doesn't have all that personal mess in it. It 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 keeps it about the business and about the keeps the relationship on that level, which works really well. Mm -hmm. Ta I'll talk a little bit about the actors. Charlie Sheen. This is his best movie. You know, his second best movie, I guess, is the other Oliver Stone movie he did just done, Platoon. Mm -hmm. And they're both as good as he's ever been. The, they, the studio really wanted him to choose somebody different for Wall Street. Um, but he's just like, I don't know. I think, you know, Charlie's sort of a tool. And it, that's sort of what this guy is. Yeah, he makes the right decision. But there's a naivete and a stiffness to him that I think works for the character. Because, yeah, because I'll tell you, Tom Cruise wanted to do this film. And if mm -hmm. Tom Cruise were in it, it's really, really good. But if Tom Cruise were in it, it'd be, it makes you weep a little at how much better it would actually be because Tom Cruise is really perfect for this kind of role and is so much better scene to scene than Charlie Sheen is in anything. Tom is an actor. He doesn't, he's not just a tool who is reading the lines like Charlie, <laughs> but but like in Magnolia, wasn't it Magnolia where he played a real just kind of yeah. slime? Well, yeah. well it, He's yeah, but he wasn't going to play the Michael Douglas role. He was going to play the Charlie Sheen role. No, I know. I know. Yeah. That's what I mean. If, if mm -hmm. there, the, Charlie Sheen is innocently slimy. Right. That right. Role. He's legitimately slimy and he kind of oh, yeah. doesn't know it. He thinks he's acting like a cool guy and he comes off like right. a dork. That right. There's a value to that in Wall Street. So, I Tom Cruise, though, has made a career you know, out of playing guys who... I know, but I don't know that Tom Cruise would have been as believable being kind of oblivious. Yeah, maybe not. Hmm. Maybe not. I, yeah. I think that Charlie Sheen actually nailed it because mm -hmm. of that. I agree. Here, here's, here's what I would it's say. It's understated. It's the one thing Tom wouldn't mm -hmm. have brought to the table that's yeah. better than Charlie Sheen in every way is, is obliviousness. 
Charlie I, Sheen, I agree with that. Tom Cruise is kind of overstated. Charlie Sheen managed to get the understated obliviousness really well. I think you're right. Here's here's what I would say on that um, is uh, uh, Brantley Foster would have never gotten himself in that situation. So um, I think you're right. I, and Michael Douglas won the Oscar for this. It's his only yeah. Oscar acting award, and he won the Oscar for producing uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as well. Do um, you know who was supposed to be Gecko? A lot who of people. Pac well, El Pacino yeah. was the closest to actually doing it. I, no, Richard Gere. Well, Richard Gere was on the list. Gear didn't want it. Beatty, um, Beatty Warren Beatty wouldn't would have been okay if he could have brought himself to do it. But Beatty, mm -hmm. Beatty's the hero of his own story in a way that I think would have gotten the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Douglas doesn't play the guy like a villain, but uh, Douglas reading uh, producer actor Michael Douglas reads that script and understands that the guy's the villain in a way I don't think Beatty would ever would. Yeah. I think Pacino would have been great. I, Richard Gere would have been terrible. Yo, Although Richard Gere's in a really good insider trading movie that came out later, he would have been terrible. He's he makes a he makes a terrible villain. Yeah. In my he's opinion. Too, he's too Buddhist. There's something <laughs> about him that just doesn't fly. Uh and he's a decent actor. He's a very uh, so good Lancelot, as Joel is always pointing out to me and reminding me. Yes. Um really, an American really, Lancelot, but nonetheless. Really quick back to the movie. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. So I think partially to how this works better than Working Girl did is that they let Charlie Sheen take the fall. Yep. And and that's partly why I like it so much too. He fixes is, things for Blue Star Airlines, but for himself, well, but he's hold destroyed. On, Ryan. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that they let him be the oblivious slime dink and take the fall for it. Okay. You know, yep. they wired him and got him to get gecko, which is good, but he didn't get out of jail. He right. still had to go to jail. He had to make the decision that oh, his dad over all of that greed, he still went to jail. Yep. He got gecko, but you don't see it. And and at the very end, you find out that his dad tells him that Wildman will hire him in the airlines when he gets out of jail. But it's so understated and, and like you barely notice it. Right. So while it, it is a good thing, it's not, oh, yay. Well, even good. Martin Sheen and the father-son thing, the real father, real son, which is sort of a gimmick, that it just works like gangbusters in Wall Street. Martin okay. Sheen says, eh, maybe a few years, maybe a couple years in jail. Do you, do you, maybe it's the best thing for you, he says. And as <laughs> it turns out, it's like real life, guys. That is, right. that is 80s you know, fatherhood right there. That is, right. That is but he has a point. Ragonomics yeah. fire, fatherhood right there. You know, bring you back down to earth and make you yeah. understand that to, to work for a living is to work for a living. Like he, mm -hmm. he, Sheen's character represents that a little too much beyond even being a character. He's there to represent a philosophy, but it's really well handled by a really good actor talking yeah. to his actual son. And you, the interesting thing is the parallels to real life. Right. I mean, really? Charlie Sheen and the craziness that became his life. And now you can see him in, I think, an insurance commercial where they're in it together. Mm -hmm. And 
it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, it's after Wall Street. Here we are. It's a, it's an insurance co commercial. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's true. Yes. Uh, so, uh, all right. Well, so those are our, uh, our three selections for the movie club. This, uh, I, yeah. So I hope you uh, enjoyed our, our um, discussion on those films of Wall Street. Um, and it seems sort of appropriate that uh, that on a Wall Street type episode that we would uh, round out the show maybe with uh, another trip with the Tickertainment Trend Tracker. Bye, bye, bye! Bye, bye, bye! Sell, sell, sell! It's like Michael J. Fox in Secret yeah. to My Sex. Oh, secret to My Sex. Secret to My Success. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well have been Secret of, of My Sex. It's right. the sex scene. Um, he's, he's, his, he lives in a cheap New York apartment and the, mm -hmm. his neighbors are having sex and he gets he jokes around by conducting it. It's, it's pretty humorous, actually. Kind of like Joel. Bye bye bye. Good yeah. bit. Um, all right. So yeah. Um, yes. Ticker. Yes. I know. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, the uh, studios hoarding content for their own platform. You know, like Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, HBO Max. Um, it's a signal that we're heading into a new era of vertically integrated entertainment providers that looks a lot like the early days of the Hollywood studio system. Well, it's all about control and it always has been for them. You know, when you when you buy that VHS tape, you know, it used at the video store or whatever, or you, mm -hmm. you take the DVD home, you have control of that till the till the end of its life. And what the studio wants is you to have to come to them for everything, for everything. And so even though the streaming technology has made films has made, in a way, movies far less profitable, at least for studios. What they've realized is that being their own streaming company, having control of their own catalog, and being the only place you can come to for that catalog, the exclusivity of it, which Disney was ahead of the mark on, you know, because they've always believed more in exclusivity, mm -hmm. I think, than other companies have, uh, just shows you that. But it's, it's about control, in a ugly way as a movie consumer you you just you're you losing control you don't when you want to go when what's the example i use it every time we talk about this the, uh, truly madly deeply when alan truly rickman died deeply, yeah. all my all my liberal art house movie film fans their favorite alan rickman movie is not die hard sorry actual movie show with Joel and Ryan fans, their favorite is truly madly deeply where he plays a, a romantic ghost. It's a fantastic movie, but they all wanted to watch that movie. You know, that mm -hmm. that's the natural reaction is to you know, dive into somebody's stuff when they, when they're gone and they couldn't get it. That's a Miramax. It's not really, it's a British company that Miramax distributed that was then owned by Disney when they acquired Miramax. So it's, it's essentially a Disney controlled film and it's nowhere if you wanted to yeah. buy that on dvd you had to spend 120 dollars 
you couldn't stream it any place. They just couldn't watch it, and they were up in arms about it. Well, how can that be? It's great. And I, one of the reasons is because it doesn't have a high-definition transfer of any kind. It's literally the shape of an old CRT TV. And people, when they play that stuff on streaming services, call in and complain about it. So we, we talked about that with From Earth to the Moon, right, Joel? Mm -hmm. They changed the look of Earth from Earth to the Moon. They ridiculously they they brightened the colors they changed the contrast they ch chopped off the top and bottom of the picture so that it would fit a normal tv screen they redid all the special effects and then took the special effects credits out of the credits of the people so that they wouldn't have to pay residuals to them the whole thing this is hbo and warner brothers in this case the whole thing is sort of despicable and awful and non-artistic in every way you can think of and 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 that's it. It's it's not the idea that Disney can have a channel with all the Disney stuff on it that's repugnant. It's the ugly side effects of that and the hoarding of that control and the, the not seeing it as something to share with people. You know, th that mm -hmm. part is alarming and there's just constant examples of it. I, do you feel yeah. differently? You no. <laughs> I think yeah. it's clearly a bear market thing. Shauna, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, the control is what I have a problem with, too. I, they it own just... the stuff, so but they don't mm -hmm. think it belongs to you in any it's way. Art. That's the important thing. It's art. You know what I mean? It's art. I, I'm, Part of art, it is. Art, crappy art, you know, whatever yeah. it is. It's If you've got a... I say this, I, I paint watercolor pictures... And I always say, you know what, it might be bad art, but it's art if you have somebody that wants to consume it. Of, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, if it goes in the garbage, mm -hmm. Or uh, even look it's at it. Art Sean, I would go it, further it, than that. You can, you can take the business out entirely out of the art and you still have art. Right. Um, the percentage in Hollywood movies that is art or that is commerce, you know, I get it. It varies widely. Mm -hmm. But if well, it, any part of it is art and the art is being, you know, like I said, hoarded, held back, controlled, yeah. I don't want to get into any Dr. Seuss debates, but. The thing is, though, is, is but, when you start controlling the consumption of art, mm -hmm. it affects the art itself. It does. And so when you get so much control over it, the creativity, it becomes a mass production it becomes very um you know it, here is the plan this is what we're going to do and i don't know it kind of kills the creative purpose of the art and that's the unfortunate thing i mean yes okay you can control it and that sucks and i don't like the idea of it but really the unfortunate effect of it is that it kills the creativity of the art I, th I think the, the, the studios, I think their response to that would be we, you know, by keeping everything in house means that we'll be able to afford to do more art. We'll be able to fund um, other filmmakers. I, and, uh, and while there's I. There's no doubt that streaming services, mm -hmm. their convenience is yeah. awesome. 
Um, and, and I, th- you know, I, th- yeah, I mean, obviously we'll have to see how all of this plays out. You know, the, the, er, you know, we're, we are talking by keeping all of these properties, uh, you know, in house uh, with each of these, you know, streaming services and, and essentially production houses saying we're going to produce stuff and it's going to be accessible only through our portals. Um, you, you know, it, Yes, all of that is it, it, the con, the concerns. I I, I share all of those. Um, however, I mean, I think the success of WandaVision on Disney Plus, um, you know, Wanda that, that a type of show like that would never get made anywhere else. Um, but for uh, that's not really true. Uh, you were watching that FX show, which is similar in a lot of ways, uh, Legion. The, other, the art yeah. the art happens sometimes maybe maybe not in a in a you know the, the creative amazing weird and and alternative stuff happens in all different places uh wandavision needs to not be a movie it needs to be you know it needed to be a tv show there's all these things that had to be before it could take the chances that it took that's not mm-hmm. to say that it's bad or that it isn't kind of right where it should be and it's kind of the perfect thing. I think I agree with you on that. I'm just saying that, you know, it's Marvel's not up and Disney's not a place where they're nurturing this brilliant original art, even if it's still happening. There's this tug of war and pull at it all the time. All they care about is that it's exclusive to them and that and it'll gain is, subscribers by it existing. The thing is, I agree with you, Ryan. And the thing is, is that when you get these big conglomerates that are the ones that are saying, okay, we have all this money and we're going to make all this stuff, they become the people that you have to get ideas by. Mm -hmm. And so when they start looking at data and saying, okay, this works, this works, this works, that doesn't, then everything kind of starts moving towards what works under them. And well, what, sure, but that's been the way things have always been. Kind I know, of, yeah. I know, With or without I mean, streaming, I kind Michelangelo of still had to, you know, had to or get, had to run things by the Medici's. I totally agree. Um, nice pull. Maybe there will be <laughs> other ways for it. With, maybe there will be other ways to come out, yeah. you know, and break out of that. But right now, in the way that it's moving, because we're so shut down, and it only is going through these avenues. What I am hoping is, is that when things open up and they realize that people are sick of just this, that that's where the creative, you know, creativity comes back in some way. I don't know how it will be, but I bet that will happen because it will change. I mean, we at some point will be back in the movie theater or we'll be back. Although it won't be us, it'll be young kids right now will be whatever they're into that's what will be catered to the interesting thing is is that we were kind of joel and i were talking about this and i was saying that it reminds me i gave her a preview before you ryan that's so she could think about it (laughs) uh uh it's kind of like the recession you know the great recession and when they were going through the recession everything was clamped down you know and nobody had any money and only certain avenues came out once it what came back, you know, when things started coming back, it was roaring, you know, like, woohoo, it, it was a creative boon in this country's history. And I kind of, I'm wondering if once we kind of come back, that actually won't happen. I don't know what avenue it will take. Tough to but say. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, yeah, it's going to be, 
it's we, yeah sean and i were talking before you before you uh came on the call ryan it, it, it is going to be fascinating there is going the the type of content that is going to be coming from creators uh as we as we come out of this pandemic is it's it's going to be exciting it's going to be fascinating that for that i am total bye 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 but yeah. i think well and i don't mean yeah, to i didn't mean to trample no, the idea that this no. wandavision which is really creative and risk-taking mm -hmm. and amazing still exists in this atmosphere that i'm decrying it's important to know yeah. that the artists are still out there making stuff that's awesome joel's totally right about that and that's good that's exciting but it's how but are they going to get to the market and it is it yeah it's, that's the question and and this and the studio system and that you know it is it, and i think i think that's accurate uh this 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 uh the the trend tracker is accurate in this that you know it does sort of mirror that old studio system and great things happen under the studio system in the 20s 30s and 40s the, the difference is this of, yeah i mean the difference is that the studio system had a had a room full of guys making big decisions like this what is at the top of the chain in any of these corporations whether it be viacom or disney or time warner it, it, you, you go up to the top and you don't you you there's still a boardroom at the top mm -hmm. although none of them know anything about making movies what's above them is their stock prices yeah and that is what this, it's the stock prices and spotify and whatever streaming service you want to use it's the stock prices calling the shots and that is a it's completely inhuman way and commerce only way that has to trickle its way down before you can get anything any sort of worthwhile storytelling it's encouraging that we're still getting it but it is alarming that that's where the that the buck stops with the bucks and that's it there's no people yeah. up there who give a crap about what we're watching on tv only the, only what's happening on the stock market we need I more totally tests yeah we need more tess mcgills and less gordon geckos right right but i do have hope because i think everybody you know we're forced to this and that's it and you don't have a lot of choices and it's becoming everything's becoming kind of like everything else and once we're allowed to get out i think people are just going to push for it like you know what don't tell me what i want to watch anymore we'll see mm -hmm. i like i like that idea very much i just i don't quite can't bring myself to believe that that'll yeah. be the way i really do think that part the biggest part of the of the 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 art working for the money the biggest part of that is the pt barnum give the people what they want they they, they people want trailers that over explain and show you the whole movie that's why they make them that way people want uh movies that lack certain amount of substance so that they can just escape into fantasy worlds and not have to worry about their actual complicated lives people want that stuff and i do think that corporations are for the most part good at giving people what they want well that's because what that's what right they now. use that's the barometer they use to judge the success of anything is whether the people accepted it or not and I, I think people want that right now because we're living in yeah. hell right <laughs> you know that's we true a solve solve to get us through this time yeah but when we actually can get out and participate in the world again i think the creativity is going to come back and be like all right you guys we got to start thinking about stuff again. I, I don't know. And we do have a lot of choices in content. The, the competitive nature of the different streaming services for your attention it is 
not necessarily a bad thing for for artistic achievement either. So that right, right. there's some hope there as well. Um, okay. Well, I well, well, hold on a second. Let me check. Okay. Uh, do we have time for one more? Tell it, the trend yeah, tracker wants one more. Talk. I, I, I've I've lost uh, I lost my uh, my my clock here. So I um, no, we're good. I haven't been able to track. Um, okay. So this one is um, uh, okay. Yeah, this one is about um, James Cameron released Avatar again only in China solely as an effort to regain the top box office of all time spot. From what, Avengers um, whatever? From Endgame, yeah, from Avengers Endgame. Uh, how are we on uh, re-releasing movies just to try to get those quick bucks Who to cares? maintain any sort of spot? That. That's a trick that they've been trying for a long time. You know, I remember yeah. they re-released... Uh, some Ron Howard movie, like just to push it over a hundred million because that, you know, it cost them to do it. They made no extra money. They lost money doing it, but there was this That's, prestige thing about it coming in and the, at the hundred million dollar mark. Yeah. That, that way it's all about say, Ron Howard has had, yeah. Ron yeah, Howard has had X amount of movies of that. I mean, yeah. I don't uh, mind. I do not mind one bit that avatar be the worldwide box office champ over something as, completely disposable as as avengers endgame but it 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 seems silly especially because international box office what does that it doesn't mean anything to china it doesn't mean yeah. much to the people around here none of it takes into account inflation which if you do gone with the wind still the most seen and most profitable movie of all time mm -hmm. so you know I'm, I'm not sure you'll never achieve numbers like that people don't only the whole everyone in america saw gone with the wind like literally they all saw it there was nobody who didn't see it that you'll never get that again there people just right. are too compartmentalized so i don't hate it because who cares it's just rich people mm -hmm. messing about but well, I not don't until they make not does it until make they... you want to watch a movie anymore? I don't go watch a movie because it's the highest box office sales right. ever. That's purely to put on your imaginary yeah. resume. It's right. ego. Yeah. That's, that's way too high a point in the discourse of when we talk about these movies anyway. We all sort yeah. of agree on that. I think, yeah, until they make the movie show with Joel and Ryan, the movie, I don't think we'll have to worry about people, everybody seeing a movie. Because I think once they make that movie, everyone's going to want to see that. It's going to play um, me. But I that'll uh, take no, things I over. I was going to say. I was. I don't know about China. That. Do we think that? Oh, trend tracker. I, I was going to say. Uh, do we think that before the next Avatar movies come out, before two and what do we have? He's got. Like, you know, you're not. Trend Tracker knows it's not supposed to bring up Avatar this late in the show. I know, I know. But I was just gonna say, do we think we're gonna see a re-release in the states of those movies just to make to like refresh people, or do we think that that will just that will be taken care what of? What do you got on streaming services? I, they'll do whatever they can make a nickel on. So I, That's you know, I, if it's yeah. if they can make money by doing that, they'll do it. If they can't, I don't think that they will. I don't think the younger generations, from what I've read, I don't know a single person who is excited about Avatar sequels. I know. It's weird. It's gonna be, I don't know a single person. It's way, way, way too late for that. They're just mm -hmm. way too late for it. The, from any, a, yeah. Any, from a sociological, know. yeah, from a sociological and film history perspective, I am super excited to see how all of this plays out. Yeah, anthropologically, gonna, it's going to be super yeah. interesting, but I... And maybe there'll be hits. You know, Titanic was supposed to be this huge bomb. Avatar was this what is it 
supposed yeah, to be was... a huge bomb, and somehow these all came out on top of the world. So maybe it'll happen again, but it sure yes. feels like ah, it is gonna. We're be excited to see what happens, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I I lament it. Storytelling on that scale, when you're talking about a fourth Avengers movie or a, three back-to-back -back Avatar sequels, is like it, it's so hyper-commercialized and it, it's so um, drained of any meaning to the point to be universally appealing that it, I just you know even if it's good, they could, should be good. The original Avatar is pretty good. Uh, I was just ripping on Endgame, but that's a good movie. You know, I don't like have a problem with it. For I don't what think it, it is, sucks. It, for what it is, it's a yeah. It's, yeah, for what but it is, it's a very good movie. Yeah, but the only movie yeah. that I like that had a sequel that is kind of out of that genre is Gal Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, mm. in that Marvel universe. Yeah, it, I saw a that very one. Unique, that's a unique and voice, James. Gunn's, I've never yeah. seen any of the other Marvel movies. I've never seen mm. Avatar. I, really, Guardians of the Galaxy is the only one that it's, even interests Joel me. just said it's he, James Gunn's a unique creative voice, and that's why yeah. those have the personality that they have. And they're, 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 that's the opportunity that I think is missed in a lot of these. Um, mm -hmm. Because some of those bomb, you know, Ang Lee's Hulk is super unpopular. Uh, you know what I mean? There, yeah. there's, there's times when uh, an auteur has come into a franchise and turned it into something that the fans didn't like, and those films are really, really hated. Uh, uh, Ryan Johnson's Star Wars sequel, and yeah. you know that uh, those were hits. Hulk was a huge hit. Uh, uh, Last Jedi was a huge hit, massive hit. But the studios are equally wary of making nerds hate them for some reason, <laughs> even if they're making money. Yeah. Because because you do pay a price for it. The, mm -hmm. the Han Solo movie, which is really fun, matinee joyousness, took yeah. the hit for Last Jedi being unpopular with nerds. They didn't go see that movie as a result. So there, <laughs> are, there are consequences for that sort of thing, which is too bad. But. Do not piss off the nerds. But, you that know, is, nerds, yeah, yeah, is... you got to open your minds a little bit, really. It, you know, I, I see this as one of you to a certain degree. You just have to – you don't always know what you want. It's okay to change some story slightly from what you accept as a thing. And if somebody casts a black guy in a role that was white, even if you find that objectionable, shut up about it. Have some shame. But they don't tweet nice. about it. It wouldn't be nerds if they, they were open to change. Uh, I just think that's an ugly, again, it's a just ugly side of culture I, that I yeah, just I hate. Could, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. L lighten up. They're not going to make fun, risk-taking, creative films if you hate on every all of them, every decision they make before they're even in the theaters and before you've even seen them. They just mm -hmm. got to take a breath. Some of them are going to suck. Some director's going to come in. He's going to totally not get it and make a bad movie, but... That's no reason to be calling for hangings and signing petitions like when you haven't even watched a movie yet. That sort of thing I really object to, obviously. All right. Oh, Trend Tracker, yeah, you know, you don't bring up Avatar and things like that this late in the <laughs> what show. What are you doing, Trend Tracker? You should Damn. know that. Jeez. We yeah, might not hey, ever hey, don't talk show. back to me. Don't talk back to me. Um, all right. Uh, sorry, I had to get all dad there. Um, no, I get it. 
Shauna, anyway, so, it's so awesome to have yeah, you. Yeah, Shauna, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the movie club wonderful. is so fun. We love it. It is so much fun. Um, tell hey, tell us about your favorite Wall Street type film. Did we did did we um, do a disservice by not talking about Boiler Room? Um, hey, uh, all right. can I you say can something real quick about Boiler Room? I know sure. you're trying to wrap up. Yeah, the guys in Boiler Room, the characters are the the hedge fund managers of today, they all saw Wall Street and thought Gecko was the hero. They worship him. They know every line that he says in the thing. The guys who have caused the crash literally doubled down on his philosophy. We didn't mm -hmm. talk about later period movies because I thought those three right there in the late 80s were kind of this perfect storm of, you yeah. know, a, a, a tight theme, which I like on the show. But <laughs> the... The, what's resulted as a result of Wall Street is just depressing. They they really look up to that dude unironically, yeah. and it's that's a tragedy. So I just thought I'd point that out since I didn't get to in the show. Mm -hmm. Greed um, is good. Greed is good. Well, I mean, there's a, greed there's a reason. works. There was enough people that are like, I want to know what happened to Gordon Gecko that they made a sequel. It's a watchable um, movie, other than it has Shia LaBeouf in it. Yeah. Uh, um. All right, so uh, to yeah, reach out to us at uh, the uh, movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram, and like we said, we're gonna throw up on uh, on our page on YouTube, which of course, if you're watching this, you're seeing it already. But um, below, we'll have uh, some. We'll have we'll have especially um, let the river uh, let the rivers run. Let the river run. We'll have some uh, Stuart Copeland's. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll, Wall Street madness music. That stuff is yeah. really fun, and we'll we'll put in as much so uh, so secret of my success as we can, including yeah. oh yeah and uh, um, and uh, walking I'll, on I'll sunshine. Because hey, why I'm not? Sure we, we're not. I'm, we don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, again, so thank you all so much uh, for joining us. Thank you, Shauna, for being here. Um, always wonderful to see you. And um, when the club meets next time. We're going to have, we'll have some more fun um, with our assigned movies. Can't wait. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye, Shauna. Bye, Beagles. Bye, Ryan. Bye, Joel. Bye, Beagles. Thank you for listening Bye, to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>